0: Um, it has been an amazing three weeks. I think mean, God has been um, in a special way faithful to our church in leading us. The timing of everything was not planned, it's God orchestrated it in His sovereignty. Uh, three weeks ago, we had Mr. George Nieman come and share with us um, what is happening in the continent of Africa uh literally the continent is dying because of war, famine and disease generations of people are literally being devastated and what's left are orphans and widows and, and the people who are just perishing and he also shared with us how the church in America is dying or spiritually we are malnourished and we're dying because of of affluence we have the disease of affluence we're dying because of luxury we're, we're we're dying because we have too many options, too many choices, because we are, we have so much in plenty, and how God in His grace has saw fit that we need each other. They need us physically, but we need the poor. They are a gift to us because for our, our spiritual benefit. He was sharing his stories, and I was just amazed and shocked, as many of you were, at how... Small group of believers are, are such making a, a marked difference, uh, shining their light, a city on a hill in Africa, doing such good work. And whenever we have guest speakers, I'm always kind of a, a protective of them. I want to, uh, I don't know, help them, protect them from the church, you know, and usually they're older than me and they seem kind of frail, so I want to help them from their chair give them water, and just support them, protect them in some way. Halfway through last, the Sunday he was here, I realized, oh, he doesn't need my protection whatsoever. I mean, George Neiman's walked across several countries in Africa. He's uh, been in rooms where people have died of AIDS. He has uh, buried children with his own hands. He doesn't need my help whatsoever. He's a strong man, if anything. I need his help. That Sunday was a real um, powerful day for all of us. And that afternoon, we had a Q&A session with him at our church office. And, and it was a packed room. So many of you came to hear more about what God is doing through him and Hands that Work in Africa. Next morning, I gathered several local pastors together and had a breakfast meeting so that they might hear from George Sneeman about him and his work. We had Many of you know these pastors. We had... Um, Patrick Cho from Lighthouse Bible Church John Cole from Faith Bible uh, Peter Kim from Buran James Lee from Pillar and a James Lee from Evangel as well and we had Scott Bashore from Brenner Park Bible Church uh, Moses Cho from New, New Alliance uh, Bible Church we gathered together as pastors and we heard um, George speak and share his heart with us and afterwards we were weeping together we were praying for him and we were weeping at um, what you know, God is doing, God's love for us, and God's love for the people of Africa. And what God is, God's faithfulness to them. And I believe one day, someone's going to write a book about George Steeman And we'll realize that we were in the presence of a spiritual giant as he ministered with us. You know, Towards the end of the breakfast, he turned to me and he said, James, you know, regardless of what happens at Cornerstone and uh, Hands That Work in Africa, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to pray for you, pray for your family and your ministry, that God will bless it. I have never heard that in my whole life. My whole life, I've never had anyone say to me, it's not about ministry, it's not about the church, it's not about the work. As a brother in Christ, I care for you, i want to pray for you. In that moment, I saw a glimpse of his heart, a glimpse of his God's grace working in his life. A tremendous weekend. that was in my heart the whole week. Um... This is what we learned together through uh, Mr. Sneeman. That Friday, though, we're leaving for Czech in uh, India. And with that heart, we left. We arrived in the Czech Republic, and you saw a picture of him in the slideshow. The tall guy was kind of follically challenged, you know, um, taller guy. He, his name is Daniel Adamowski. He was here a few years ago giving his testimony. And he was there with Marcus to welcome us to Czech Republic now, Daniel was an ardent atheist, he was associate professor at an engineering school, Czech Republic, very smart guy, and he was resistant to the gospel. God put Peter Smith to live across the street from Ad, uh, Daniel Adamovsky, right? God had other plans. 2003, Bob and I, in our first trip to Czech Republic, we're having tea at, at Peter Smith's house. You know, we normally don't have tea in those small cups, but Peter offered, <laughs> so we're like, having tea. And then who comes in the door? Daniel Adamoski and Peter sits him down. And we preach the gospel to him for over an hour. He won't have any of it. He flatly rejected the gospel. God did a wonderful work of grace in his heart. Who shows up to welcome us? He hugs us. He thanks God for us. He's been praying for us. And he hosts us while we're there. It shows the power of the gospel. God says that he has a remnant in every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every people group will be represented in the kingdom of God. That he loves all men, and all men will be represented in in heaven. And so here in this land where their hearts are like cement, we have people that God has saved like Daniel and Eva as testimony of the power of God's grace. So for five days, we're able to fellowship with marcus and amy and the believers there and that's bob shared god has done a great work of grace in marcus's heart where he is growing in the gospel he understands his role as a pastor is not to preach the law not to put burdens of legalism on the church but as a minister of the new covenant his role and responsibility is colossians 1:28. we proclaim christ our message is singular And we resolved to know nothing while we're among you except Jesus and him crucified. And so after our time there, our hearts were encouraged because for the first time we saw hope for this nation. Because with the gospel, there is always hope. With man, there there is no hope. With legalism, there is no hope. With religion, there is no hope. But with Christ and the gospel message, with the cross, there is hope. We said there is a man here, a man of God who understands the gospel. And loves Jesus. And he's preaching Christ. Therefore, there is hope for Prague. And a hope for Czech Republic. Hope for all of Eastern Europe because of the gospel of Christ. So we, we left with... You know, before we would feel like somewhat sad for... When we left people, when we left Joe and Elaine, I remember we left Dale and Joe. We felt sad. Like we want to take you with you. Like I, we know what's the heartaches that are waiting for them. This time we we didn't have any sadness because Christ was with them. Now we got on the plane to go to Paris and Delhi. And yes, Bob's story is true. They walked up and down the aisles with uh, an insect killer, pesticide, you know, fumigating the inside of the cabin in the airplane. And I, was, I started to pray. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> where are we going? Where they spray us with. Yeah, I'd rather have a pat down with the TSA than to be fumigated. Like, is this okay for my health? I mean, am I going to make this? So they fumigate us. We land. And uh, as Bob shared, it was, uh, you know, nothing could prepare you prepare for India. I mean, amazing, amazing. Uh this poverty, idolatry. I mean, people. Everywhere, it is incredible, and yet, as the place is dark, the light shines brighter. And uh, Peter and Heather, Capital Bible Church believers at PMI, they are shining forth the light in word and deed. And that's the New Testament formula, right? Word and deed. Right? You preach the gospel and you do good works. And they're preaching the gospel and they're doing good work. And they go to the slum area and they minister to the kids. And they have blanket drive and unbelievers come and participate. and They hear Peter share the gospel. This is my motivation because God loves me through Christ because God has saved me uh, though I was a sinner. And because God loves the world, we are doing this because we love people as well. What can unbelievers say? They watch this and they might even say to themselves, I don't agree with what you believe, but I got to say what you are doing is beautiful. What you're doing is uh, not human, it's not natural, it is supernatural. God is clearly in this place. We experienced just uh, tremendous grace while we were there, Uh, saw the beauty of the gospel in ways that we've never seen before, and we came back this past Monday, we're still working through jet lag, and I'm still working through jet lag as well, so I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth in about five minutes. So I blame it on jet lag and not on myself. <laughs> this whole week I've been mulling on what, we, what we've, what I've experienced, what Bob and I experienced, and what we've experienced as a church with George Neiman. And the passage that I came to is Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, thirty-five through thirty-eight. My heart has been going to this passage again and again this whole week, and I believe this is God's word for us. I believe with all my heart. And this is God's word for you, that you are here not by accident. God brought you this morning so that you might see Christ in all his glory, in all his beauty in this passage. So for the reading of God's word, if you have your Bibles, Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. 35-38, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages into his harvest. Please be seated. Well, in this passage, we see the twofold ministry of Jesus. Wherever he went, this marked his ministry. He would go and he would preach the gospel and then he would heal people. This is not an isolated incident. This is not an exceptional uh, example. This was a mark of his Incarnational Ministry that he would go and he would proclaim the good news, the euangelion of the kingdom, which says that we are sinners, depraved, wicked, evil sinners, and we are helpless before a thrice holy God, and that none of our righteous deeds can earn favor with him. But the good news is that through his son, he has made a way for us to be absolutely approved by God, justified, accepted by God, not through works, not through penance, but through faith in Christ alone by grace. So everywhere he went, he prioritized this ministry of preaching the gospel. But as he preached the gospel, he met people's physical needs. People came to him who were stricken with every kind of illness, sickness, and disease. And he Minister to them and he met them at their point of need and he healed them. He did this throughout his ministry. Matthew 4.23 again he proclaimed the gospel and healed their disease. Luke 9 he preached the gospel and he healed everyone. Mark chapter 1 he preached the gospel and he healed many who were sick with various diseases even casting out many demons. In Mark chapter 6 people brought their friends and neighbors and laid them before jesus and he healed them he served them and healed them even though he knew that many of them would never believe in him that many of them would reject jesus he healed them though he knew that majority of them would leave and not even say thanks they would be ungrateful for what they had received in luke 10 jesus healed 10 lepers and only one came back and that was samaritan even knowing that he healed them, he healed them, knowing that for many of them, their sickness, their illness, was a result of their sinful behavior. It was because they had bad livers, because they were alcoholics. Right? If they had other diseases, it was they were living in living in sin. Even though their illness was a result of their sins, he healed them. Even though he knew that most of them would use their health to sin, their newfound health. If they gain sight, they will use that sight to look at women lustfully. They give them ability to speak. They would say curse words. They would blaspheme God. They would curse their family. That God would store their strength. They would use their strength to hurt others. Even though he knew that he healed them. And even though he knew all of them were undeserving of this ministry. They're unworthy to be served by Jesus with holy hands. And yet he still healed them. He ministered to them because Jesus came to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's not like Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to serve you by dying on the cross. So I don't want to serve you for my life. I'm going to do the all of it at the end. That's not how he did his ministry. His whole life, his whole ministry, he spent himself serving others. And at the end, his tank was empty and he gave his life as a ransom for our sins. And so, verse 35 is a, a normal ministry depiction, right? No, a ex, no, normative example of our Lord during His ministry. In verse 36, Matthew describes that He saw the crowds, He saw the masses of people, and He saw them. He saw their eyes, He saw their con- condition. He saw them as bearers of the image of God. He saw them. Now, um, this reminded me of a movie that I saw many years ago. Very good. I'm sure most of you, all of you have heard of it at least. Maybe you've seen it. Life is Beautiful, that Italian movie by Roberto Benini. There is a. It's about a father and a son who are in Italy during World War II. And they're arrested, sent to the concentration camp. and And he wants to protect his son from the horrors of the concentration camp. So he makes an elaborate ruse so that his son would not be harmed emotionally by what he, what he experiences within that camp. Well, there's one scene in the movie where before the war, he's a waiter and he's serving his customers at a restaurant and he befriends a doctor in the, in the neighborhood. And so doctor and he become friends and they enjoy sharing riddles to one another. And the main character, Roberto Bernini, he's really able at figuring out riddles. So he helps his doctor and they begin a good friendship or they're separated because of the war. They're in a concentration camp with his son and in in the concentration camp, he's able to serve Nazi officers at one dinner party. He goes there and who does he run into? This very same doctor, but now he's a top official in 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 the Nazi government. And so he's thinking to himself, this is my chance to get myself and my son out of the concentration camp. Maybe he'll help us. He's a friend. Maybe he'll help us escape. As he's serving him, the doctor recognizes the main character. And he says, I have something important I want to share with you. Can you meet me after dinner? So the main character, he's all excited. This is my chance to save my son. After dinner, he meets him at a corner. and The doctor turns to him. And the doctor says to him, I have this riddle someone gave to me and I can't figure it out. Can you help me figure it out? And he starts telling him the riddle. The main character is beside himself. He is totally disheartened. He walks away, just shocked by this man's self-centeredness, selfishness and his lack of compassion and he walks away, just, just undone. Well, not Jesus. Not Jesus. This is how it is with rich people, is it not? Successful people, important people. They're blind to people that are under them. People, they're, they're blind. People, these people are, are invisible. They don't see the suffering that goes on all around them. And this is our experience as well. We go from our homes, to our we drive on freeways above all the people to our work, and then we go to eat lunch, we go to work, we come back, we go to Disneyland, and we have people suffering all around us, and we are oblivious. They're invisible to us. They do not exist. That was my experience with my wife. When we signed up to be foster parents, and we fostered our son, we adopted him, we had no idea there were foster kids in America. We had no idea there were 80,000 in California alone, half a million orphans in this country alone. But once we got into the foster system, we, we heard so many people tell us that they were foster children. Our neighbors tell us that they were foster kids. We had a grocery cashier tell us that she was a foster child. A waiter or a waitress or, or one of your members or your siblings or foster children. There are so many and we had no idea this world was invisible to us because we were so fixated in our own world. Well, not Jesus. They were not invisible to him. He saw them. These are social outcasts. These people who are had fallen off the ladder, right? They're on the fringes. They're on the outside looking in. He saw them. He saw their eyes. Saw their humanity. He saw their sufferings. He didn't ignore them. He didn't just walk by them and say, "You know what? I have too many important things to do. I have to go preach the gospel." I have to die on the cross for your sins. I don't have time for you. No, like those, uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, right, this good, this man is robbed and is laying on the ground and who walks by him ignores him because they have so many important things to do. It's the priest and the Levite. They have so many religious things to do that they ignore this man in this condition and who is the man who, who stops to care? It's the Good Samaritan. But Jesus was not. He was never too busy for people. He saw them, and when he saw them, he saw their eyes, he had compassion for them. Verse 36. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus saw their desperate plight. He saw their spiritual blindness their lostness, how they were devastated by sin. And so he had compassion for them. The Greek word refers to the intestines or the vowels. He had a visceral, physical response to what he saw. He wasn't callous. In the Western mind, we, we equate emotion with our hearts. But in the Eastern mind, they equate the bowels, the intestines, with deep compassion, with emotion. And Jesus experienced in his, in his core deep sorrow, deep mercy, love towards these people. And that is why he performed these miracles. See, these miracles were works of compassion. All right. He wasn't just showing off his powers. All right. He's not a Kind of God where he, he shows up his powers by having people you know pick a card and guess what card that they picked, or think of a number i 'll tell you what number you've thought of, or i'll predict your future, give me some money right that's not how you perform miracles. He, his heart was full with compassion, so he demonstrated his compassion by healing people they were in need and he had the ability to meet their need. so he abounded in serving them but leaving them of their sufferings. This was uh, often described in the New Testament about Jesus. Right? How he had compassion upon people. In Matthew 14, uh, when people were following him, and he had, there, was, there were people with diseases, he healed them for he had compassion on them. So much so, he went to the other side of Galilee to be alone with his disciples, and the throngs of people followed after Jesus, and they wouldn't leave, they wouldn't go home. Was Christ's heart? He had compassion on them. He said, they didn't have anything to eat all day. We should feed them. He performed that miracle. His concern was such that he was concerned for their physical welfare, that they were hungry. And it went even beyond that. In Matthew 20, 30 and 34, speaks of two blind men on the side of the road and they cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. And what did Jesus do? He reached out and he touched these men and healed them. In Mark chapter 140, there's this man who was covered in leprosy. So he had been a leper for many years, maybe decades. And he said to Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. The question is, I believe you are able to make me clean. But do you want to? Do you love me? Do you care? Are you desirous to make me clean? If you do, you can make me whole. And you know what Jesus did? He reached out and he touched this man. He didn't need to. He had the power to heal this man without touching him. But this man hadn't been touched for years, maybe decades. Never experienced a human touch. He was cast out from society, from family. And Jesus reached out and he touched this man to demonstrate his compassion. And that was what's motivating him to heal him. And he was healed. Dr. Paul Brand spent many years in medical work among lepers wrote this book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. He wrote, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the eyes of the blind, the skin of the person with leprosy and the legs of the cripple. I have sometimes wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people He healed, many of whom must have been unattractive, obviously diseased, unsanitary, smelly. With His power, He easily could have waved a magic wand, but He chose not to. Jesus' mission was not chiefly a crusade against disease, but rather a ministry to individual people, some of whom who happened to have a disease. He wanted those people one by one to feel His love, feel His warmth, And feel his full identification with them. Jesus knew he could not readily demonstrate love to a crowd. For love usually involves touching. This sympathetic compassion is unique to Christianity. Unique to Christ. In India, in the Hindu religion, because the caste system, it is... Forbidden to help someone, care for someone who are in the lower caste, who are suffering, who are going through pain, because you are d- interrupting with their karma. They are to suffer with dignity. That next life, they might come better, come back in a healthier, better position. The Brahmin class, or the priestly class, it is forbidden by their law to show compassion or help the needy. That is, that is religion. All religions like that, except for Christianity, because of the model of Christ because of what is described of him in the gospels now why did he have compassion for these people two reasons two reasons first reason is he's just like his dad right an apple doesn't fall far from the tree he's where did he get this from where did he get this heart of compassion and love because his dad is like that his father is the same way right God is a God of love and compassion for those who are most in need. William Hordern in his book, Living by Grace, said this, The God who seeks the lost has a special concern for the down and out, for the weak and the helpless. The God revealed in Jesus is a God who was concerned with the poor, those held in bondage, the blind and those who are oppressed. From the prophets of the Old Testament to Jesus, the love of God is portrayed as having a particular concern with widows and orphans, the poor and the oppressed, the despised and outcast groups of society. Therefore, the Old Testament prophets gave a clarion call, a resounding call in their prophetic ministry concerning the heart of God towards those who were oppressed towards the orphans and widows, and towards those who are poor. Micah 6, 8, Micah said, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? Zechariah 7, 9-11, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the immigrants, the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Psalm 146, 7-9, Who is the one that executes justice for the oppressed? Who gives food to the hungry? It is the Lord who sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the immigrants. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Deuteronomy 10:17. Lord, your God is the God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, the immigrant, gives him food and clothing. Love the immigrant, therefore, for you are once immigrants in the land of Egypt. Proverbs fourteen thirty one. Whoever oppresses the poor insults God, but he who is generous to the needy honors God. Therefore, Jesus had compassion for people because that's the heart of God. That is God himself. The second reason is, as he saw the people, he saw that they were harassed and helpless. Harassed has the root meaning of being flayed or being skinned. The derived meaning of, of it being severely troubled. It often connoted the ideas of being battered, bruised, mangled, ripped apart, worn out, and exhausted. Christ saw these people and saw their spiritual condition and their physical state And he described them as harassed. And then they were helpless. Has the basic meaning of being thrown down. Utterly helpless. These people were helpless and defenseless. Spiritually battered, thrown down and without help. Why were they in this condition? Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There was no one caring for them, protecting them helping them serving them God had sent uh, shepherds to the nation of Israel but these religious leaders these quote-unquote shepherds who were largely responsible for the people their religious leaders gave them no spiritual pastures no did not help them feed them nourish them if anything they just fed themselves If anything, they shut God's kingdom in their faces. If anything, they added burdens to them. And they would not lift a finger to help them. And Jesus so rightly called them in John 10, thieves and robbers. They're wolves in shepherds' clothing. They're not coming to help anyone, serve anyone, minister to anyone. They're coming to destroy these scribes and Pharisees were true descendants of the false shepherds against whom the Lord railed against through Ezekiel and Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what God said of these false shepherds. He said, "Ah, oh, shepherds of Israel, you have only been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You clothe yourselves, you eat the sheep, you slaughter them, and yet you do not feed them. The the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you ruled them. So they were scattered. Over all the mountains, on every hill, my sheep were scattered with no one to search or seek after them. These religious leaders, they were not concerned with people whatsoever. They were just concerned with themselves and for themselves. And all they were doing, as they saw Christ preach the gospel, and as they saw Christ care for the people all they were doing was criticizing Jesus and his disciples. you always find these two evil twins together, legalism and criticism. Where you find legalism, criticism is not far behind. And when you hear criticism, you will find legalism at the root of it. Jesus is pouring himself out to care for people, and where are the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, what are they saying? They're complaining in Mark 7 because the disciples, they did not dip their hands in water before eating. So they're calling him a false teacher right? because he does not abide by the traditions of Israel. On a Saturday, they're working so hard, they're hungry, they had not eaten all day. So disciples are walking through a grain field and they started threshing wheat with their hands and eating on a Sabbath. And they said, oh, false teacher, you don't have to work on the Saturday, right? And they criticized Jesus. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed on the Sabbath a man born blind and they called him a heretic. Even verse 34 in Matthew 9, they just said, they just said of him, they called him, he cast out demons, verse 34, by the prince of demons. Jesus ignores them. You will find legalism and criticism hand in hand Implications are clear that God doesn't see this as true good work. What is true religion in the sight of God? What is true uh, serving Christ in the sight of God? Pastor Dan taught last two weeks the vertical relationship has been settled, it's been dealt with for Christians. He has made us righteous through Christ. Now, we don't have to obsess about our sanctification. We don't have to obsess about our spiritual disciplines and our walk with God. Our concern, because we've been made righteous, is to love others. Just like the Pharisees, I think many of us, right? we are hiding, we are so f- We're frightened by this concept of loving others that we compensate and we hide our our lack of compassion by focusing on our religious duties. But to God, that is nothing. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams. I have had enough of your well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of this trampling of my courts? Bring me no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and moons in your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen for your hands are full of blood." Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from me before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool." Isaiah 58:6 through9, God said, "Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to unstrap the yoke, to let the oppressed go free? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house?" when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily; Your righteousness shall go up before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and I will answer. You shall cry and I will say, here I am. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, said this the implications are clear justice is not just one more thing that needs to be added to the people's portfolio of religious behavior a lack of justice is a sign that the worshippers hearts are not right with God at all that their prayers and all their religious observances are just filled with self and pride Behind their excessive religious observances are lives that are insensitive to the vulnerable classes. In Jesus' view, this revealed that they did not know God or His grace at all. William Horton, in his book again, Living by Grace, said this, Works righteousness is always concerned with with the saving of oneself. The person who is curved in upon himself is first of all concerned with what can be done for his own benefit. When such a person thinks of God, he naturally creates God in his own image. Therefore, he assumes that what will be most pleasing to God, to God will be actions directed toward God himself. That the best way of pleasing God will then seem to be to perform religious acts that are centered upon God's majesty, honor, and so on. The careful observance of the Sabbath is an obvious way of paying homage to God. So surely this must be most pleasing to God. But the God who justifies by grace through faith is a God of love. And He is most concerned with others. He is more pleased by service to the neighbor than by service to Himself. This is why God created the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath is not to gratify God's self-interest, but to serve the need of humanity. Thus, healing, the sick, and the Sabbath is actually the finest form of keeping it. At the time of the Reformation, the good works whereby salvation was to be sought were almost exclusively actions that had no concern for the neighbor, Good works for praying, going into monasteries to live, buying indulgences, building church buildings and so on. Here Luther's understanding of justification has led him to see that the works which are truly good in God's eyes are works which serve our neighbors rather than works in performance or religious formalities. Commenting on Philippians 2, 1-4, Luther says that Paul has prescribed this rule for the life of Christians, namely that we should devote all our works to the welfare of others, since each has such abundant riches in his faith that all his other works and his whole life are a surplus with which he can, by voluntary benevolence, serve and do good to his neighbor. That is what we've been learning in Galatians. All right. We've been made righteous by God through faith. He has made us whole. He has restored our relationship to Him. Therefore, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't count. The only thing that counts is faith that works works itself out through love, loving one another. That's the only thing that counts in light of the cross. So Christ modeled this for us. And then verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, so he's speaking to us. He's speaking to you. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to know that this commission is prompted by His compassion. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. Then he said, and he's speaking to us. And what is uh, surprising is, he doesn't say go. He doesn't say, you sense what I'm feeling? You sense what I'm saying? You go. He doesn't say that. He says pray. Why does he say that? Because Harvest is plentiful, but true laborers are few. The last thing he wants is to send out more Pharisees to the harvest, more scribes, more legalists, people who will go uh, to save themselves, people who go out to the harvest, and instead of having compassion for the lost, they're going for their own self-interest to seek justification before God and They go and they don 't help people they 're not serving people. what they 're doing is look how much i 'm loving you. look how much i 'm pouring out for the pouring out myself for the orphans widows and, and their distress, and they lay burdens on people, make people feel guilty and preach a, preach legalism instead of the gospel. That is why he's saying no i." you pray, and you ask the Lord. And the Lord knows those who understand grace, understand the gospel and believe it, and those who are still mired in legalism, the Lord will send. The Lord will take care of it. You just pray. See, if, you're, if your heart is you see this, you see Jesus' compassion and his ministry for the poor, and you say, it is an example for me to follow, Right, what would Jesus do? I want to do the same thing. You are, um, excuse me, I don't want to offend anyone, but if that's your heart, you are demonstrating profound arrogance. Right? Your heart's being exposed of all that pride and ego that's in your heart. If you're saying Jesus is an example and you want to do what Jesus did, do, do we not realize that Jesus fulfilled the law? Jesus completed the law. He was perfect according to the law. And the law is not just holiness, but law is also love. Right? He was perfect in the sight of God in terms of holiness, but he was also perfect in terms of mercy and compassion and and love towards people. So when we see Jesus, if we say, oh, I'm going to do what he did, it shows our blindness and our arrogance. If we, with faith, see the example of Christ... It would hum- it should humili- humiliate us. It should embarrass us. It should cause us to be convicted to the core. It should cause us to say, I am like that doctor in that movie. That's me. I am possessed with myself. I am unbelievably self-centered. My whole life is curved in into myself. And even the good works that I do, it's out of wrong motivation. Let me explain this. There's a man who's blind, and he's begging for money, and one man gives a dollar because it makes him feel good. And another man takes that dollar, steals that dollar because it makes him feel good. In the human eye, that first man is righteous, the second man is evil. In God's eyes, both men are evil. Because whether you give them money or take that dollar, it's for the same reason. It's son no of self-centeredness. When you see Christ moved by compassion, it shouldn't be what would Jesus do? That's what I want to do. It should be my external righteousness. It's been exposed. I am undressed. I am naked. I am a sinner. I am completely self-centered. Everything that I've done in my life, I've done it for selfish reasons. I have never truly loved anyone. Right? Can you say that? Can you say in light of Christ, you know what? I have never loved anybody my whole life. I didn't love my parents. I didn't love my siblings. I didn't love my spouse. I didn't love my children. I've, never, I've used people my whole life. That's all I've ever done. Jesus is the only one who's truly loved others. No one else. You see Christ's example, and you see it by faith, and you say, and you pray, and you pray to Jesus, Jesus. Help me, save me from myself. Right. Deliver me from myself. Right. Rescue me from my sins. Help me to understand this gospel grace so that I might receive your righteousness and so that I might start learn to love other people right. because I now know and believe and understand your Love for me. Would you bow with me? i give you a few moments to respond to the word of God. That God would uh, undress you, undress me of my uh, false righteousness. And if his holiness won't do it, His love and compassion will show how woefully, selfish, blind, proud beings we are. We have never loved anybody. We just loved ourselves our whole lives. And this is what Christ has done for us. He has saved us. He has rescued us. And so he has liberated us from ourselves. That we might now truly love God and love others. much time has passed, and I'll close with this prayer. We'll close our service. Oh, our gracious, loving Father, you sent your Son, knowing that um, how ungrateful we would be as your people, knowing that we would abuse your grace, we would use this freedom as a license for sin, knowing that um, that we would not honor you and love you as you are worthy, and knowing that we would use this love for our selfish interests because our sins are so deep, we're so curved in toward ourselves that even this grace we would abuse for our own ends. But Lord, that is what makes you So beautiful, that is what makes it so hard for us to understand this amazing grace. So Lord, our our sight is still dim, our ears are still dull, our hearts are still hard. Help send your Spirit. Lord, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, help him to illumine our eyes, grant us faith, to believe in your promises so that he would bear fruit in our lives through your Son that we would be a people who profoundly are humbled by your grace in the cross and people who are profoundly committed to loving the world and loving the outcasts, the poor because of what you have done for us, because of the gospel. God, we just thank you for your faithfulness to us, to our families and to our church. May we go in peace knowing that you have done it all. May your glory be indeed our guard.